What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Glad to be back here with you guys. Got an exciting show for you today. Want you guys to give a big warm welcome to my friend Alvin Johnson. How's it going, man? Garrett is great, man. Glad to be here. Appreciate you. Yeah, I'm glad to finally get to sit down with you face to face, man. Not just be exchanging emails and texts. Yeah, I know it. I stood you up once or twice because uh, we were just talking about where I live, way down south, yeah. and I usually get out of North Tech, North Dallas, about three o'clock. Hey, yeah, it happens, man. We all know how it is in the Metroplex. You yeah. got to be certain places at certain times, and things come up. Glad but you always here, communicated that real well, so we we made it work. So I appreciate now that, that I promised y'all this show for so long, now you get the show. Here we go. Yeah. So you guys always ask me about getting more people in multifamily on. The hardest thing for me to get on for multiple reasons is always the ownership side, the developer, the owner, the guy that really puts the deals together that has the overall big picture. We have that now. So here we go. Here we go. So why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about your background, like where you're from, how you started out, you know, along those lines. Man, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, and I think I started out um, as a painter's helper right out of high school. So I learned how to paint million-dollar, multi-million-dollar houses back in the 80s. And so I learned how to finish. And so from learning how to finish, that always gave me a desire to take something that didn't look good and fix it up really nice. And uh, so I didn't go to college. I did uh, paint contracting, then GC contracting, and... Um, I think in 96, I opened a mortgage company because a guy introduced me to a mortgage, and I didn't know what that was back then, and, uh, and I stayed in that until 2007, and then I met this guy at the beginning of 08 that owned 16,000 units of apartments, and uh, he told me I could come volunteer for him, or first he offered to help me, and so for three weeks, man, this guy answered my phone calls and gave me work to do, and... Uh, of course, I was bumming out because I didn't know what I was doing. And he said, I'll help you, Alvin. Just, I'll help you. And so I called him every week. After then, he quit answering my calls. I called him for 49 weeks, every Wednesday. And uh, finally, about a year later, he answered the call and said, Alvin, man, I'm tired of you calling me. If you want to know what I do, you can come up here, and I'll put you up for 30 days. And so I did. I moved to Amarillo, Texas in 2008. And... Um, that's what that's what opened my eyes to the multifamily space, man. Wow, that's awesome because I don't think, in my experience of all the different ownerships groups and people that I work with, I don't think many of them started off doing what I do and doing the the gritty work of it, doing the turns, doing the painting, yeah. doing that stuff. So like that has to be a very good foundation for you to go back on. It is. It is. It gave me everything I need. You know, I understood the financing from the mortgages. I understood the construction component from learning how to do construction. And uh, so when I buy these things, I look at them differently. Uh, when we fix them, I fix them differently. Um, and I tried the Band-Aid approach. You know, we were just talking about that, trying to just get by just to get by. And I, I knew better, but you're looking at a budget and think that budget is supposed to work and it works for a short period of time. And then you realize you look back a year or two later and see how much money you actually left on the table because of what you didn't do in the beginning. And so now, man, when we buy these things, we replace the HVAC systems complete from day one. 
all the appliances, all the mechanicals. Why? Because it saves on the maintenance costs, which drives your NOI up. And so if you're looking at this from an NOI perspective of how you really make money, then you just spend it on the front end and watch your costs from a deal that you bought where the expenses were 48 49% or greater drop down into 30% just because of, of lack of maintenance. You, you're not spending so much money maintaining junk anymore. And yeah. so uh, that's what led me into the development. Then I realized that, man, these guys are paying way too much money for this old stuff when I can just go build something new for same price or just a little bit more. But if I spend a little bit more, I have no maintenance for five or 10 years. Yeah. And so where's the money really made in the long term? That's awesome, man. Like that's, that's cool to hear that perspective because part of that conversation we have. So, you know, like on my side is the GC. Mm-hmm. We always joke because we make some of these recommendations and it's not always owner direct because sometimes we're dealing with the management company. Right. That may be also owned by you or maybe somebody you hired to manage your portfolio. It, it varies from ownership to ownership, as you yeah. know. So I always used to joke. I mean, that's kind of how this podcast started back in the day because I was going to create a podcast slash blog that was common sense construction. So I was like, man, if I could educate some of these people a little more on our side, it would make my job so much easier because they know the spreadsheets and the numbers and the NOI and this and that and what they got to do. But, man, you start talking about... I need Hardy, and you could save money, upgrade this to Cedar and stuff like that. And they're like, wait, what? Why? Or this is going to take how long? I mean, I just watched on HGTV. They remodeled a whole house in like an hour and a half episode, (laughs) you know? And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, but that was three months of filming edited to an hour and a half. Right, right. You know, so like seeing that always, that's how it kind of started for me. with the idea of podcasting and, and bringing that kind of knowledge. Cause we, we joked, like I want to be on the other side of that fence. I want to sit in that meeting where I've explained it to this person. They come back and tell me like, Oh no, they're not going to go for that. They're just going to do this. We need to trim it down to this. And I'm like, but why? Well, you realize like why? And you never get a great answer or you might get an answer. And even if it's not what you want to hear, even though if you think it's an honest answer, you, you don't always understand the logic behind it. And that's the missing key. It's like, well, why did they make that decision? Because I laid it out in a manner of you could spend 15 now, do it really good, right, and you'll have no further issues. Mm-hmm. Or you do the Band-Aid for seven and a half. I can't tell you how long that's going to last. I can't warranty it. But when you do have to do it again, that $15,000 number just went to $25,000. Yeah. So now you're really going to spend thirty two whenever that time comes, or you could have just spent fifteen now. Right. But it's all NOI-driven. So when you, you know, you're talking about a $15,000 fix or a $5,000 Band-Aid, they're looking at that $15,000 and going, well, I could save ten grand now. And, you know, ten grand is not a lot of cash, but over time, if it's 10 saved, 10 saved, 10 saved, then it does add up. Yeah. And, and I get that, but, uh, and I can tell you the last two years, you've had so many people go out and, I mean, when you got a 15-year-old raising millions of dollars to go buy apartments, you know something's about to change. Yeah. And so, with this reset of cap rates and, and things not condensing as quickly, you'd have a guy buy a property today, do nothing to it, just hold it for a year and expect the cap rates to continue to compress. And this thing's gone up two or $3 million in value. 
They had an interest-only loan. They weren't paying down the principal at all. And now they're sitting here today where that interest rate has gone from 35 4% to 8%, 9%, and now they're underwater. And they don't know how to get out. And everybody that invested in that deal is about to lose all their money. Yeah. And if they can, if they can get out without any repercussions other than just losing the money. And it, it just, we'll see what happens. But yeah. I got offered a deal today. I told you um, 236 units in Lubbock. Uh, a guy paid 15 million bucks for it. The bank won 6 million bucks because all the rest of that was equity that he raised from friends and family. And uh, they're about to take, well, they've already taken a bath because the bank owns it back now and they want 6 million bucks for it. Yeah. Oh, that's their baseline. Anyway. We'll, see, <coughs> we'll see how quick it or how high it gets raised up, you know, through through this yeah, I think, quiet auction. But we'll see. I think that's going to be the big turning point in our world of the economy in the next year, year and a half. I don't think it has as much to do with the election and all that that a lot of people do. I, I mean, that's definitely a part of it. But I think a big part of it is a lot of those deals that have happened in the last three or four years. Yep. They're going to go under, and you're going to see a lot of stuff on foreclosure, a lot of stuff at the auction house, a lot of that stuff that you're going to get. If you've got the capital, you're going to be able to go in there and steal some deals. You will. And, and that's where you're going to be able to find these owners and management companies that have these deals that you'll see the renovations come back in. A lot of this won't be foreclosed on. Most of it, it'll be through relationships with guys that have the capital that just get passed on from this bank to, to somebody else. Uh and it'll be quiet kept, you know. They're not trying to melt yeah. the economy down. They've got enough of that problem going on with the commercial real estate that's at 50% occupancy across the country. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's backtrack a little bit before we just keep going into the hardcore stuff. How did you make the leap and gain the knowledge? I mean, it sounds like you involved some mentorship, yep. stuff like that, but to go from working on apartments and doing some mortgage stuff too. Man, I'm going to find out how to get a couple million dollars and buy a property and start building a portfolio. Like for somebody that wants to do that down the road, like what, how did that happen for you? How was that transition? Like what, what, what stirred that? What, what brought that on? It was really just a progression, right? So when I went to, when I went to Amarillo to volunteer for my friend, uh, when I went there and saw he had 16,000 units of apartments, I had just come out of the mortgage business in 2008 where everybody took a bath in that market. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I had found my forever job. Like, I don't have to be an entrepreneur anymore. This guy's got 16,000 units. I can come and help make his dream come true, make his life easier. Uh, he's got airplanes and jets and company cars all across the country. And I'm an executive man. I am good. And uh, this was, again, 2008. So uh, that company faced some really hard times, and my friend died 13 months later in a car wreck. And oh, so man. when he died in a car wreck, this foundation that, you know, 16,000 units, if you look at a value today of that, that'd be worth $2 billion plus dollars. <clears throat> uh, that deal went into a bankruptcy, and the board hired me to be the president of this deal to walk it through a bankruptcy. So I went in as a volunteer and came out as a president of this foundation. Well, after the bankruptcy was over with, they don't need a president, so I was the first one fired. And I didn't have anything else to do. And uh, I said, well, I can't go get a job because who's going to hire me for a position like this? I don't have a background for that. 
Um, this is like 2010. I didn't even know where to begin. And so um, my friend's family said, man, we've got a company here. It's got a resume. Doesn't have anything but $10,000 in the bank. If you want to take it, you can, you can take it and see what happens. And so we took that company, man, and uh, the 10000 bucks, I went and bought a server for $9,000 from Dell. They thought I was crazy because you're going to spend all your money on a computer. <laughs> so, well, if we're going to go buy some apartments, I need a place to keep all my data. And, uh, and I had seen enough, I knew enough of how to contact some people about trying to maybe buy some of the properties that were in that portfolio. And so sure enough, Chevron and the bankruptcy trustee let me buy one of those properties. It was 110 units in South Texas, and uh, we paid 11000 a unit for this deal. Um, and when I went down there, man, the grass was five feet high. It was 110 little houses, 900 square feet each, but they were 100% occupied. The rent was like 390 bucks. And I said, but it's occupied. You can't build a house for $11,000. So all we got to do is fix these up, cut the grass, make the people live here, want to be here, and then we can just progressively start raising the rents up. And, man, it took me, because it was, it was not in a great market, a little city with like 15,000 people in it, it took me about 100 investors to find my first million dollars, literally. I mean, I saw guys fly in, come in, drive in, and I met all of them there. And um, probably somewhere around number 100, uh, I met a guy in Amarillo. He didn't even have to see the property. He said, I know some guys that have some money. Alvin, I can get the money for you, and let's form some public-private partnerships. And, you know, these guys want X for their money, and you can find the deals. And that's how I got started. So I had a, I had a, a captive audience uh, with a CPA or a financial planner that had some guys with some cash. And we said, man, let's just go buy some apartments. And that's how I got started. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. The resilience, though, in, in that process, like you hit, like you said, just in that one deal, the first deal, you got told no like 100 times. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't see that as a... I can't do this. No, I, I knew I had an off. opportunity. Well, just like this guy told me, before I got there, Evan, I'll help you. Well, he answered my call the first three times, so he must like me. I'll just keep calling. All he can do is not answer or tell me to jack off. And finally, when he answered, he said, man, I've never met anybody as tenacious as you. I said, well, you told me you'd help me. I just knew it was a matter of time. And so persistence, dedication, all that stuff, man, that's, it takes that. I mean, you're in this business, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going to get told no all the time, and you just got to figure out a way to, to, to keep yourself motivated through the process. And that's, for me, that's been the hardest thing, but here we are. Yeah, man, that's, that's powerful in and of itself just to, to have that mindset. What, what, did you always have that kind of mindset with everything or was there a point nah. in life? Like what? No. Nah. So, so I'll give you a little history. So, um, first nine, 10 years of my life, I had mom, dad, they were both school teachers, right? Uh, I got molested at nine years old. So here you got a kid that dreamed big and wanted to do all this crazy stuff. And then I got molested. And when that happened, man, um, 
all the walls go up, all the dreams go away, uh, fear set in, and um, trust issues set in, and uh, I didn't want to be seen, heard, talked to, nothing. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall that nobody knew. I didn't want my social security number on nothing. I, I just wanted to exist. And, uh, and then, you know, I got through that as a kid and uh, got in trouble with the police at, like, 14 years old, hanging with the wrong crowd. And the judge looked at me and said, there's something about you, kid. I'm going to give you another shot. And uh, so he gave me a shot, man, and I did uh, many years of uh, unadjudicated probation, so I don't have a criminal record or any of that. But um, I just kind of walked it out, man. And then I got married at 17 and because uh, I didn't want to be by myself. And, I, you know, I learned all of these whys later, and we can talk about that later. Right. But um, when I got married at 17, that was because I didn't want to be by myself and just all kind of other fear issues. Uh and then, man, when my son, then I got married, then my son was born, I think I was 21. And uh, another opportunity, I was learning how to paint these houses, and then the guy went out of business. After a couple of years after me learning how to do this, and I started knocking on doors, because I was really good. I could paint your house for 250 You buy the paint, I'll supply the labor. And uh, I knocked on this guy's house after doing half of this neighborhood, and he said, I know you. Your name's Alvin, and you used to work for... I said, yeah, I did. He said, man, I'm doing a hotel around the corner from here, and I need a paint contractor. You want to be my contractor? I said, yeah. He said, can you get some help? I said, yeah. So, man, I went from, from that to a multi-million dollar business, and just from knocking on doors, we had a lot of money in the bank as a, when I was 23 years old, 22, 23 I thought my parents and everybody was stupid because, you know, I had so much <laughs> money and they, you know, teaching school and they went to college and all this stuff. And then by the time I was 24, this was 89, interest rates were 19, 20, 22%. There was no construction going on. Nobody was doing anything. And I was out of money. And uh, I said, well, man, my family would probably be better off without me. So I put a 38 to my head and I kissed, well, it was my son's third birthday. And uh, we were being put out of our house that day. The lights were getting cut off that day. I could not buy him a Hot Wheel car for his birthday. And it's so funny, I bought a bag of Hot Wheel cars for his birthday last year. Because uh, I couldn't buy him a car then. And uh, open the cabinet, man, all we had was a box of oatmeal with just enough for a bowl. So me and my wife sat there and fed him that oatmeal. And she went off to work and took him to daycare. And I went around the corner to my mother-in-law's house and put a 38 to my head. Pull the trigger twice, the gun didn't go off. I dropped it and went, whoa, that would have hurt. So I took a bottle of nitroglycerin pills, man, and like the whole bottle. And uh, I said, man, God, if you got a plan for me, you'll work it out. If you don't, please, I heard it's hot down there, so just, just, just have a little mercy on me. Well, man, I woke up 10 days later in the hospital, intensive care. My mom's sitting at the foot of the bed. She had never left the hospital. Uh, and I said, man, the first thing that came to my mind is, dude, you're a loser. You couldn't even kill yourself. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And so, wow. so the tenacity and all those things were probably gained from that experience because I'd already tried to kill myself, and that didn't work. I mean, I really tried. I mean, I didn't just cut my wrist, or I didn't just call somebody or any of that junk. Um, I tried, and it didn't work. So I knew that 
I can't take myself out sooner than I'm supposed to go. Uh, they can't eat me. So, dude, you don't have a choice but to figure it out. And so, here we are, man. We're figuring it out every day. <laughs> That's powerful, man. You just gave me chills telling that story. And I heard most of this on your TEDx talk. Like, if y'all want to go back for any of that, like, he has an amazing TEDx talk out there that I highly, highly recommend. <clears throat> and it was called The Things Men Don't Talk About. Yeah. That yeah. was a great title. Uh, I think that's so important because men don't talk about these low points and no. the, you know what they go through. And I mean, the molestation the, and and the fear and yeah, it was yeah yeah and yeah. So, I mean that to overcome that alone. But I mean, you even said like I told God to show me, and you woke up ten days later. And that wasn't your first thought. I, I thought that's where your story was going to go when I first said yeah. that. Like, that wasn't your first thought when you came back. was no. like, wow, I guess he does have a plan for me. No. No, it was, I, 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 I'm a failure. Like, I can't even kill myself. Like, that, that is so powerful and so profound. That's like, a, that was the lowest point. And so, you know, there's never a point that that's low, that, that gets any lower than that for me. And I'll tell you... Um, I've had other opportunities, uh, Garrett, where, you know, if I wasn't as strong as I am now, that, you know, that's, that's the fight or flight in us, right? So either we're going to fight or we're going to flight and take flight. And uh, the easiest thing to do is take flight. Well, you think so. Uh, let's just run away from the problem and thinking that it won't be there when we come back around the corner. And, uh, but you can't run away from you. Everywhere you go, there you are. And so all of those demons or whatever you want to call them that I dealt with weren't outside. They were internal. And a lot of that stuff really didn't wake up. And, you know, I didn't remember I was molested until I was 38. And I, because I guess, uh, you know, we, we block things out, maybe through pain, trauma, whatever. And, um, and I'm glad because in my late teens or 20s, I probably would have done somebody something really bad. Uh, if I had not remembered, or if I had remembered that, but anyway, uh, um, you know, when I went and did that ayahuasca experience, this was a year and a half, almost, no, it's been a little over a year now, so I think it was last August, you know, uh, we had gone through this cycle from March of last year where interest rates started going up, and all these developments we were working on were getting challenged. And I, I, I saw this same old tree, man. I said, man, I've seen this tree five or six times. Why am I going in circles? Why do I keep making the same mistakes in my life or facing the same challenges over and over and over again? And I needed to dig into myself and figure that out. And so what came out of that experience really was that all of the decisions that I had made had been fear-based decisions. You know, I thought I was an old great man of faith. But no, really, I was an old great man of fear and making decisions based on fear. Like, oh, well, the first marriage I got into was, well, I don't want to be by myself, so I'm afraid of that. This girl loved me unconditionally, and if I let her go, I'll probably never find anybody else like that. And so that was a fear-based decision, and I can just go on and on and on with a lot of decisions that I made that were based from, from, uh, from fear of Whatever that fear was. And, uh, and so now, man, you know, 
that that ayahuasca experience they say how, how did that come up like how, how did we how did we jump to ayahuasca because that that isn't a jump that just everybody makes it's not so um one of the things that i have been you know i'm very vocal about my experiences and i have some really great friends that i talk to on a regular basis and i told one of my buddies he's 34 years old he's my one of my best friends other than my son and i told him i said man i have hit the wall dude he said, what do you mean you hit the wall? I said, man, I, I, I don't know which way is up, and I've literally hit the wall. I don't, I don't know what to do. And he said, don't worry about it. I got you. I said, man, you don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. He said, no, for real. Just book a ticket, and we're going to go do something. I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, well, Aaron Rodgers did this thing called ayahuasca, and he came back two years later and won MVP in a, two years in a row. I said, well, shit, if he had that kind of experience, then sign me up. And so... I met him in Tucson, and we went up on that mountain. And uh, and when I came out the first night, and so some of the things before going into that experience, they told us that we had to have our intentions set. So what are your intentions for doing this, and why do you want to do this? And you got to eat as healthy as you can. You should eat like you're growing a plant on the inside of you. And so that's how I eat now. I've never gone back to eating pork, beef, or any of that junk. Uh, I literally eat like I'm feeding a plant. And so I went through that, man, and that first night I had a dream. And I dreamed that I was pregnant. And and I was afraid. I was scared as hell. I can't throw it up. It's too big to come out my mouth. I don't have a vagina, and I surely couldn't shit it out. So I was afraid, and I didn't know what was happening. And uh, when I woke up, I realized that what I was afraid or pregnant with was fear. And so that was kind of like my fear baby. And I realized from that experience of just going, and I went a couple of more nights and a couple of more times, but you know, I realized that all of those, again, those decisions were based on fear. And that's why I kept making the same mistakes over and over again, because every time something that would happen that would remind me of something that triggered me last time, I wind up making the same kind of decision. And so, of course, you're gonna get the same result. People think that, oh, you do the same thing over and over again, uh, that's stupidity. Or it, no, that's how you get better at it. No, if it's the wrong decision, that's called stupidity. Because why keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Sometimes our, our, the thing that hurts us the most, we think, oh, we had success doing it this way last time. Well, let's do it again that way. Well, times have changed. Things have changed. That situation's not the same. So continually repeating that process, even though it worked for you once, doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for you. So... I've, you know, I've, as we get older, we really get super smart and, uh, <laughs> I don't, I've gained a lot of knowledge, but well, most I'm glad of you're it sharing been, that with us. Cause like, you know, I think a lot of people learn from hearing stories like that when people actually are open and open to sharing like that yeah. to that level. You know, most men don't talk about that kind of stuff. And so most men are dying on the vine. First of all, we don't have friends. We don't talk to our friends. Uh, because everybody got big macho balls and all this shit, and I'm not going to tell you that I'm hurting and dying on the inside because I don't want to be judged by you. That's how I used to be. Well, I don't give two flying fucks anymore. Excuse me, I know we're recording You're this. You're good. But that doesn't matter to me anymore because that's not conducive to my personal mental health. So I'm going to tell you, if you're my friend, you're going to know what I'm going through because you might have an experience to help me get through that. Yeah. Uh, maybe what I'm talking about right now, man, I've told this story on Clubhouse and all over the place and on Clubhouse, man, I've had guys 
Say, hey, man, can I call you? One dude called me, man, and said, man, I'm glad you shared that because I sent my wife and kids away this weekend so I could kill myself. And I went, wow. So good friend of mine said, man, it didn't happen to us. It happened for us. Yeah. So if you lived through it, it wasn't your, it was your experience, but it's probably so that you could help somebody else not have to go through it. And so I don't wear it as a badge of honor because maybe I was stupid for trying that. It's the most selfish thing anybody could do. But I live through it so that I can share it and stop somebody else from going down that road. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Like, yeah. That's just... <clears throat> this is twice now in like three podcasts, Miz, that someone shared a story like this. Like, yeah, like that doesn't happen very often. But man, that's, that's profound and that's... Uh, to be able to learn from that and have that mindset to where you could turn that into something so positive and help others is phenomenal. I mean, that's... I think that's probably why I'm still here, man, really. Um, this business stuff is just... It's just business, man. It's just... We got to eat. We got we to gotta, we gotta have money. You know, we, we should be making an impact wherever we go, where you are. Whether you know it or not, it may be good, it may not be good, but uh, that's just, that's what we get to do. This kind of stuff right here that we're talking about is stuff that we should automatically do, right? Right. And um, so many men miss that. Uh, I guarantee you, all of us know a dude right now that's dying, but he won't talk about it. Yeah. He won't talk about it. Why? I don't know. But, you know. Maybe knowing that somebody else, same thing. Sometimes it's just hearing it or knowing, yeah. just knowing that there's somebody there. You can say it all day, but do you actually do it? Can you show it? Like, I think you you live that every day. So that's God didn't just wake up and go. I'm, I'm gonna just go kill myself. No, that was yeah. there was signs months ago that everybody saw that that either they didn't recognize it or were afraid to talk about it, and. Um, you know, most of us tie ourselves into what we do. And so when our what we do gets taken away, we get laid off from a job, we get fired, whatever those things are, a lot of men never bounce back from that. And so that leads to the destruction of a family because they don't have anybody to talk to. They don't know how to talk about it. Uh, guys go out and cheat on their wives, and I've been guilty of that before. And it wasn't just because I woke up and wanted to go cheat on my wife. But there were other circumstances in my head that led to that because I didn't know how to talk to somebody else. So, of course, this, this pretty girl's going to listen because she wants what my wife has got. So we get caught up in that circle. And instead of talking to a brother that's going to talk me off of the cliff and walk me through this, we get up talking to this little chick at the bar at, we met at the gas station that smiled at you. And now before you know it, you've done something that you really didn't want to do anyway. And so... Um, that's, so that's that's what all that garbage is about, man. In my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I mean, think you're dead on with that, like the, in every possible way you could be. Um, I know we were talking about multifamily, and y'all didn't turn this into a church service. But no, anyway. that's fine, man. Like, I mean, I kind of figured we were gonna go that way at some point. I didn't know when, or you know, and like, how do you transition into that? You know, like, I mean. <laughs> It, it's uh, 
and not everybody is willing to share like that or, or have those discussions. It's one of the things right out the gate that when I was learning about you after you had been suggested as somebody I needed to know, someone that everybody thought I would get along well with and that, that I needed to know and, and could do business with and everything else, they're like, you were the first one, like, just, like, unanimously. Like, it was like, hey, man, you you need to talk to this dude. And I was like, okay, well, he don't know me from Adam, you know. Like, yeah, I'll hit him up on Facebook. So, I mean, we started a conversation on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, here we are sitting down having this conversation. But, you know, and I, I had seen and, and, and heard some of this, and I was, I was fascinated about it because I've talked about ayahuasca, and it's a journey that I have planned to do with my little brother, it's something we've always wanted to do. Um, so that's always been something I've been fascinated by. And yeah. everybody that I've talked to that's done it has had a variation of some kind of experience like that yeah. where it allows them to either get past something or see past something to where they can fully process it and then have a plan or know where they need to go next or what direction they need to take when before that they either knew they needed direction or knew they were lost or knew they needed to get past something but didn't know what that something was. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear that that came to you in a dream while under the influence of ayahuasca in what you called a fear baby yeah. And that that allowed you to process all those decades of just really bad shit that yeah. you had subconsciously yeah. stuffed down inside yeah. and not actually fully dealt with. Yeah. And I, I even think it's more amazing that like you were able to do that and it was all in the form of that dream and you were able to process all of that from that one experience. Yeah, it started with did that it, first one. And and did it take a lot of, I guess what I want to ask from that is, was it just like an aha moment, like after you got done with that? Or then was there a lot more unraveling of all of that because you could now have an understanding of what it was that was holding you back or what you were pushing down was it something that just kind of like you got past like pretty instantaneously or was it, or it just started that process and then you've spent more time breaking that down and moving past those things maybe individually versus just the entire fear baby? Good question. Um, I was immediately made aware of it and knew what it was, right? Mm -hmm. And so from there, I realized that the next thing I, the next night, I was over the fear piece because, I mean, why was I making the same decision over and over again, right? The next thing I knew I needed to work on was my confidence. Because now, if I had made all these decisions from a fear-based position, then that meant that I was lacking something on the inside to give me confidence to boldly do whatever we do. And so my next 12 experiences with ayahuasca were to help me get beyond the fear and into a bold place of position of building up confidence. And so now, even tonight, every night I go to sleep, um, 
I got YouTube videos running so that my subconscious is being fed affirmations of confidence and boldness and, and everything that empowers me versus stuff that takes away from me. I used to go to sleep watching all the crime movies and all that shit. And now I very seldom watch trash TV. But every night I go to sleep, I've got those affirmations or something running so that my subconscious can hear it and feed me every night. I don't care where I'm at. And so that has been a process since that first night of ayahuasca that I've chosen to do, needed to do, because even out here every day, we face, we hear no's all the time. Um, we're faced with big, big challenges. You know, we're working on two to three developments right now, 250 million bucks worth of developments. Man, I, you know, do I look like, yeah, I might look like the guy that can handle that, but I didn't just wake up and go, oh, I'm gonna just go do $300 million worth of deals. Or I yeah. wanna build 5,000 units in the next two years and 20,000 in the next five years. I didn't just wake up and think that. Maybe I did, but what does it take to become the person that can handle all the things that we say we want. You know, everybody wants something, but are you willing to become that? You know, I'd love to be Mr. Olympia, but am I willing to go to the gym for 12 hours a day? So this, those videos and that, those affirmations and all those things are building up those muscles on the inside of me that I need to be able to be the guy that I say that I want to be. Yeah, what sacrifices are you willing to put in? Like, like you said, yeah. everybody, everybody wants xyz right. of what it is but not everybody is willing to do the work that it takes to do that that's right and not everybody sees the work that it took to do that no, especially in today's that. day and age with social media and everything right they just see that instant gratification of right alvin just bought 250 million dollar development yeah oh man i mean he, what do you do just put his mind to it and just buckle down and do it they don't they don't see all the individual things nor do most people talk about those things that it takes that it takes to do it yeah. i mean like if i came to you and just said alvin i want to do that you'd be like okay where are you at what you know you it, it's not just a yeah i can show you the blueprint the, the, this is how you do it well you could give me the blueprint it don't mean i that's can correct. do it that's correct because i have to do all those little things to be in the position to be able to do that right there's learning understanding acceptance of it yep. and then and then actually the doing and then not quitting because a lot of people they'll they'll start doing it no and matter what it is i mean we could be yep. talking about anything like you said we could be being mr olympia you can go to the gym for three months and start making some great progress but then you have a few bad days and you wake up and the body says oh man i don't feel like lifting today right. well then that one day turns into two days right and then three and more and more and, and then, then the biggest thing that you can see with people is their weight loss journey. Like, oh, I want to yeah. lose weight. Okay, well, that lasts beyond a week after New Year's resolution. Right? Yeah. And then you're back eating donuts and junk again. So, um, and I can tell you, since that ayahuasca deal, I probably lost 40 pounds and 20% body fat. Wow. Um, just from the eating, and I lost the first 20 I think the last 20 pounds, so I got me a sauna at home now. And so I sit in the sauna for an hour every night. I do 100 sit-ups. Uh, I eat like I'm growing a plant on the inside of me. I don't drink anymore unless it's a small glass of wine every now and then. And I've only had one of those in 90 days. I uh, quit smoking weed. Um, yeah, I used to do that. So, uh, And 
I'm 59 years old. I don't look like it. And no. I'm, and I'm going to live to be 100 uh, looking like this and acting like this. So, except I'll just be smarter. You know? And uh, here we go. Man, that's... And it's so many of these things that people don't talk about. Like, again, it, a lot of it comes back to just having these conversations yeah. and finding a mentor or a friend or whatever that you can have these conversations with. Starts with a friend. Yeah. Because the mentor ain't going to listen like that. No. I got to have a brother that I, can, that, I can, that I can be transparent with. Yeah. You know, my pastor always talked about a man needs three people, one that he can lean up to, one that he can pull up, and one that's right here with us. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. And, uh, you know, the guys that typically melt off and cheat on their wives, kill themselves, or do something stupid, I ain't got no friends. We can see that. And, and that's, that's how it starts, man. What do you think is key to finding good friends? You got to be a good friend. You got to be willing to be one. I can't have you as a friend if I'm not going to be willing to be a friend to you. Yeah. Uh, I can't expect you to open up to me. And tell me what you're going through if I'm going to sit here and be stoic and not be willing to share some of my, my pains and traumas. And so, uh, and that's the part that most guys don't do. You know, we're all flexing, man. You know, I got my Cadillac truck. I got my car. I got this. I got that. And everybody wants all of this stuff. That's great. All those toys are great. But, man, you can't take none of that with you when you die. None of that makes you can't sleep in it. Or you can, but and you might wind up sleeping in it of you make enough bad decisions, but it does not fulfill you. A lot of that is a band-aid for the holes of the trauma that we really hadn't dealt with. That's my experience. I've had all the toys. I mean, I, <laughs> that resonates so much, it, it almost leaves me speechless because it, you know, like lots of people think, you know, I, I think back to when you were saying that, to like high school, <clears throat> you know, I moved every three years growing up because my dad worked in the, uh, for the FDIC. Okay. And I moved every three years, so I was always having to make new friends. Yeah. Sometimes th I moved into a neighborhood where everybody was the age of my little brother who's two and a half years younger than me. Well, I don't want to hang out with them. You know, you know there's an age gap. They didn't really want me around unless they thought they were going to get something cool because they were hanging out with somebody older. Mm -hmm. And then, or I moved into a neighborhood where everybody's three, four years older than me. Fortunately, I played on select baseball teams and stuff like that where I always was playing up with people older than me. Okay. And, I, and most of my friends were older. But I, I remember when I moved to Texas and like thinking, my dad, I said something to my dad one time. And like, he said something about, man, if you, when you get to be my age, if you encounter true friends on one hand, you've You're lived powerful. a blessed, powerful life. That's correct. And I was like, man, I got tons of friends. Yeah. And he goes, do you? Do you really? Yeah. He goes, I see all your friends, I, who you call friends. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, you ain't going to hear me, but I'm going to tell you right now, 99% of those are acquaintances. Yeah. And I was like, Man, what are you talking about? Like, you're crazy. Like, maybe your life sucked and you didn't have a lot of friends. You know, like, I don't know. But, like, I have tons of friends. <clears throat> and he was so right. And the older you get, the more you realize this. And your circle of friends changes because sometimes people outgrow people. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Like, sometimes it's better for you to move on. If, if life or whatever it is tells you that you need to move past someone or something... You need to listen to that. You, you need to take that path. You need to go down that because there's something else on the other side of that. 
You know, I heard Grant Cardone say, he's become a friend of mine, and he said, man, if you got two friends and y'all grew up together, y'all third grade friends, something's wrong. Because y'all should have all outgrown each other by now. I mean, if y'all still talking about the same old shit y'all did in elementary and high school, something is wrong with that picture. Why hadn't you grown? Why haven't they grown? Probably need to reevaluate that relationship or reevaluate yourself. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens, but people get so attached to what is comfortable. That's, that's, that's it's it. It's that comfort level yeah. and the fear of evolving or learning more yep. or, or growing past that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So. So now you talk about like life of a dreamer. Like I see you use all that. I see you use that a lot. And you added hope to your middle name or you mm -hmm. made your middle name hope. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Why? I think that probably ties in real well right now. Um, the hope piece came when we, when I got fired from the presidency of running this billion, couple of billion dollar company, where do you go from there? I mean, how do you go get a job after that? And yeah. so the next progression was for us to own our own apartments. Me and there were three ladies that believed in this journey with me. One of them stuck by me. She's now our VP. And, um, she, and she was one of the recipients of low-income housing that was owned by the foundation that, that she was on the board, uh, as a, as a board, as a resident and board member. So she was ultimately my boss when I was a president and she believed with me. And today she's helping me run our foundation from her humble beginnings. But, uh, when we sat down and said, man, we need a name for this organization. Uh, we could come up with was hope because all we had was a hope and a prayer that we could make this work. And so that's when I adopted that name, Alvin Hope Johnson, because I was feeding myself, right? And so this Dream on Dreamer shirt and the life of a dreamer is only because, you know, people perish from a lack of vision. And so if you can't dream something, if you can't see yourself as having it, you never will. And so I see myself now with other things, tools to help me do my job. They're cool tools, you know, that I want. Uh, like a helicopter and a, and a plane and stuff like that. But, you know, you're driving around a Metroplex all day. I think I need a helicopter and make my, my life a whole, much e whole lot easier. But, you know, I dream about that kind of stuff because it keeps me going. It fuels me. And so if I can inspire you to dream a little bit bigger, maybe that'll change your life. Because now you can see something beyond what you have today, and that may inspire you to go get it or be it or become it or just whatever. So that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's my deal. That's awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with the more like, uh, I'm real big on like having a vision board Yeah. and like putting stuff on there and like being able to see like what it is you actually want. Like, cause any of it's realistic. It if you want it to be yeah. like, you can find a way. You can be, have, do whatever you want. Do you, do you have a, I used to have this problem a lot. And I know what I do, but I'm curious what you do. Like you said at night, you, you play affirmations and different videos to like have that in your subconscious. Do you have a problem shutting the brain off that, that very powerful brain off at night? Like, because you just, you, you're thinking about so much stuff and all the different things you have going and doing and stuff like that, or not anymore. I used to, but that was, that was fear-based at that point. Okay. Cause when I was thinking about it and it was 
just running through my head all the time. It was more based on what if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't happen? And so that was all the fear inside of me that wasn't allowing me to sleep the way I needed to. Now, man, I sleep like a log. I turn those affirmations on, man, and I am. When I hit the bed after riding my Peloton, doing my sit-ups, and sitting in that sauna, I don't have a problem sleeping. And so when I turn those affirmations on, man, I'm out. And I don't wake up until 6 o'clock, sometimes 5.30. But I give me about seven hours of sleep every night. And, uh, and then I wake up and I go hard. And repeat, rinse, and repeat. Just over and over. So are you a person, uh, what, what's a day in Alvin's life look like? And I mean, like, and part of that I want to ask, like, maybe a multi-part question here of, like, are you a person that's real big on, like, planning out, diarying, journaling, whatever you want to call it? Are you, like, are you one of those that you're, you're very, like, like, I'm ADD about some of that stuff of, like, planning it out. Like, my dad got me on the Franklin Planner system when I was real young because I was bombing in school. And he's like, mm-hmm. you need structure and you need this. And, like, it was really good, man. I used to not be able to go do anything without my Franklin Planner with me. You know, because I had everything out, you know, you, your goals for the day, your long-term goals, prioritize ABC and one, two, three within the ABC and, you know, all that stuff. Like, do, do you utilize any of those tools? Is that something you practice? Like, maybe walk us through, like, what now that you've learned so much and that you're more proficient in everything, what, what does that look like in a day for you? I probably should do more of that. Uh, I'm still, you know, I'm still growing, right, and still mm-hmm. learning. Um, I can tell you, I used to not even use a calendar. I just go by the seat of my pants. But now, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't get done. So that's that's a big thing for me now. Just my calendar on that phone. If it's not on there, it's not getting done. Now my 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 work like so in a day in the life, man. I wake up and you know five thirty six o'clock. Uh, real sensible breakfast. I'm a creature of habit, so it's either boiled eggs or oatmeal, orange juice, or a smoothie. And this has been for a couple of years, even before I started eating like this. And um, and then typically I'm off to the office. So I got an hour drive to work, and I talk to my best friend, my buddy, every morning, talk to my son every morning. So I usually get those calls in on my way to work. Um, I used to wake up and be bound by my emails and got to check them and got to make sure that, oh, my God, because I was being more reactive than proactive with things because shit have just felt like everything was at a point of melting down and I, I oh shit, uh, just expecting something bad to happen. Uh, and that comes from all of that trauma and all that fear. And so now, and whatever we focus on, you know, the more I'm getting in tune with all of this stuff, I read a lot, uh, listen to a lot of audio books, um, but the more in tune we get with what we want, it comes to us. You know, you can, you, you can however you want to say it. Um, but also the things you think about will happen. So if you think about the fear-based things, you probably wake up in the morning and got an email that something bad happened or something bad is about to happen or you got a bill you didn't expect because you're, you're drawing that junk to you. And so now, you know, I drive to work. I, very, I look at my emails, but just to make sure there's not... I missed a meeting that wasn't on my calendar, mainly, uh, something like that. But and then I get to the office, man, and and now my our workload is is we've outsourced all of our property management, so I don't have to deal with that on a daily basis. 
So that helps me because that's, that's a reactive business because you're reacting to tenants' needs and reacting to situations that happen. Uh, so now I literally get to try to plan my day based on the projects that we've got coming up. And so we have weekly meetings with my contractors, weekly meetings with my architects, and those are on the calendar. So aside from that, uh, it's talking to lenders, talking to partner, potential partners, talking to people that want me to help them with their project. And I used to give a lot of that time away. So I, before, I spent four hours a day talking to people about their projects. And since I set up a consulting company and said, no, we're going to charge for that time, it's amazing how these people go figure it out and they don't need me anymore because <laughs> they don't want to pay anything. So, and it's, you know, it's 250 for 30 minutes, uh, up to $1,000 an hour. Or if you really want us to take a piece of dirt and bring it all the way to, to entitlements for you, it costs you 150000 bucks. But we're going to save you so much money because we've got a streamlined process and people that we deal with. So I'm literally just every day thinking about those kind of things and how, uh, how our processes and projects can get better, different, different technology uh, within the apartments. And, uh, but most of it, Garrett, is um, working on me because, again, the business stuff is easy. 90% of what we deal with has to do with us. And so that's why I read so much and listen to audiobooks. My, my TV is going in the office on affirmations or something that I need to hear for that day uh, or, or that moment. And it's not that I'm listening to it, but we hear it even if we're not listening to it. So it's feeding us. And uh, that's, that's literally how I spend most of my time now. I'm more focused on me becoming a better person that allows me to handle more of what I get to do. And uh, makes me a better person overall. That's awesome. What What are some of your favorites like that you go to like as far as affirmations and maybe sources of stuff you're feeding yourself? Like what What are, maybe give us like your top three or something of like what you like. What give us an example? Like you know, like maybe your your three favorite or three most current books. Maybe three audio sources. Maybe it's a you know your favorite affirmation channel if it's like you know the mindset app or you know i don't know what it is for you but what 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 maybe is a better example that gives a little more of a picture of that versus just saying an affirmation i um i just finished david goggins book never finished uh hell of a book i'm halfway through. i, that I listened to that one twice and because he talks about pushing beyond our pain points and where we th think we can quit so that was that was so empowering for me. Um, uh, my my number one channel on YouTube is Growing Forever, and so they've got a lot of affirmations about money and confidence and all that stuff. But the ones that I have aspired to listen to have been the ones for reprogramming my brain. So I you know I've been programmed um, from that incident of trauma of molestation with fear from, I don't know how I got programmed, but that's just how I woke up. And so if that is a thing that has been holding me back and causing me to make decisions that were not best for me, then how can I change that? And so I'm feeding myself things that will reprogram my brain uh, away from thinking like expecting the worst to expecting the best. I expect to be treated good everywhere I go. I expect to find a parking place 
wherever I want to park, whether it's the front row or away from all these cars. I expect those things now. I expect people to want to do business with me. I expect lenders to want to give me money. Uh, I expect somebody to give me $300 million to do our projects. I've been talking about that for 10 years, but I, I said it, but I wasn't believing it. And now I'm believing it. And now people are literally coming out the woodwork. I expect people to want to pay me to help me with their projects versus me just giving all this information away. Today I had two calls. One lady owns 204 acres down in uh, East Bernard, Texas, right outside of Houston and Fulcher. They're building million-dollar houses around her. And I said, why would you want to cut your land up into two-acre lots when you can turn it into 400 lots and build a subdivision? Just I expect those kind of things. So now she wants to hire me and to, as, to consult. I expect the best because of those things that I'm listening to. And so um, uh, that's... That's, uh, I think I've listened to Grant Cardone's uh, Minute Millionaire book or something a hundred times because he just talks about how, you know, he wrote that book in 30 minutes or an hour or something crazy like that. And it just talks about ex the same thing, expectations of what we have. And, and um, let me see, um, a lot of consciousness books. Uh, Joe Dispenza, uh, he talks, he has a book, I, I can't even think of the name, but it's in my Audible. But Joe talks a lot about um, our conscious level of consciousness. I like to listen to Reverend Ike. You know, I grew up listening to him and in the 70s with my grandmother. And, and he talks about the God that's in us. You know, I've never seen God step down from heaven and do anything. But I have seen him maybe put something on the hearts of guys to want to help us. And so maybe, you know, I was listening to him yesterday. Or his son talked about this atmosphere of healing that, that he would do in the church. And people would come in in wheelchairs and crutches and throw that stuff away and walk out because he spoke to the God in them. I see God in you. The God in you can walk. And if you start to believe that, that the God that's in you can walk, then you could probably heal yourself. And so I, I aspire to that kind of teaching because God is in us. Jesus said, man, greater works than these shall you do. As he raised Lazarus from the dead, he's not going to come down here and do that for us. We have to believe that the same spirit that was in him lives and breathes and, and lives in us to where if I really believe that you were dying and you were dead, that I could raise you from the dead. He said it. You believe it? If you don't, then you won't. If you do, guess what will happen? So. Man. Have you ever read a or listen to on YouTube, Dr. Miles Monroe. All the time. Yeah. 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 And so it's that kind of stuff that, that fuels me now. And no trash TV. You know, yeah, I watch the Cowboys every now and then because that's the only football team. But, you know, those guys out there trying to make their dreams come true. Shit, I'm trying to live mine. Right? So I support you, but. I ain't got time to go. I ain't got time to watch five basketball games a week and all that. Please, going home at five o'clock, drinking a beer for what? I don't. I don't like the guys that do it. I just know that I want to do something different. I wanna. I could have a drink of bourbon right now and be cool with it, but it would probably kick me on my ass because I hadn't had any in such a long time. So I'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> be caught drinking and driving or something like that. But uh. 
uh, that's it, man. It's just non-judgmental, making great relationships with friends, being a friend, being transparent, and uh, trying to become the best version of myself. And people say that all the time, but, but that's a fact. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody can question that you have that nailed down. That well, that's I'm, something I'm still, you are. I'm still a work in progress. You are, yeah, so. but I mean, that you are proactively doing that. I mean, it's not just what you say; it's what you do. Yeah. It's how you live your life. We're working on it every day, you know. And one of my challenges now is learning how to respond to people versus react. And that was—I don't know how that, where that came from, but there are things that flash us all the time. You know, driving traffic. And so I'd much rather be able to respond to you than to react to you. And so that has been a real challenge for me. Never had anger issues, but I don't like stupidity. And so when somebody cuts me off and does something real stupid, driving like I drive, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like um, how am I going to respond to that or how yeah. am I going to react to that? And so I'm, I'm really working on that. I don't pray for patience, no, because I'm not wanting to be patient. I need it now, now, now. And so we're going to turn it up and try to make it happen as quickly as possible. So patience is not something that I aspire to want to have uh, at all, because when I want it, I want it. And so that means I have to do whatever I have to do to make it happen. And I believe in me more than anybody else ever will now. I used to not believe in me. Even though, you know, you don't, from what you see, you might think I would have all that together, but man, I battle confidence every day. Yeah. And a lot of us do. Uh, some guys don't. Some guys are super arrogant. But that's, that arrogance is probably on the other side of them having some other inadequacies in them to where they're super arrogant about this, but there's some broken shit on the inside that they probably hadn't dealt with. Absolutely. I mean, I, I even struggle with some of that like regularly, like I keep a pretty busy schedule myself, but a lot of times, like I just feel like I'm not doing enough or like that I could be doing more. And it's like figuring out how to direct that and what is it I really want to be doing more. You know, it's not just like, you know, it, it starts out as just a, Man, I just don't feel like I'm accomplished enough. I don't feel like I'm doing something I'm passionate about. I don't feel like I'm. I don't feel like there's a purpose there, or am I really achieving that purpose, or mm -hmm. am I just chasing something for the sake of having something else to do? Right. You know, a lot of times that's it. Sometimes that business is because we don't want to slow down and face what's really going on. Yeah. And uh, my little friend told me the other day, or about a month ago, we're you know we talk every day, right? And he's he's so deep, man, and. Uh, he, he woke up one morning and said, Alvin, uh, I want to tell you about some contracts and agreements. I said, well, let's talk about it. And he said, we all have contracts with people, and we all have agreements with people, but also the people that we have them with have them with other people. I said, okay, so expound on that. He said, well, I got a contract with a guy that if he comes and does demolition work, I pay him 25 bucks an hour. I said, okay, and that's not a problem. He said, but this guy has a contract with his daughter. I mean, an agreement with his daughter. Unspoken, unwritten, that he's going to be dad. He's going to take her to dance classes and rehearsals and provide for her and all of that stuff. And as long as that guy is able to meet those agreements, then he shows up to fulfill his contract. The moment that that contract, I mean, that agreement 
can't be fulfilled for whatever reason, that contract that he made goes out the window, okay? So I, I correlated that to my personal life. And he said, most of the time it's those agreements that bog us down that cause us to spin off the rails or give us so much burden or they feel so burdensome because we don't know how to end them, when they should end, and how to get out of them. So when I put that into my, into my world and went, okay, my first marriage was a contract covenant that got broken, okay? Six years ago, my uh, former mother-in-law was really ill and my ex-wife, uh, my son's mother, had moved in to take care of her. Well, I went to their house and I was like, man, this house is, like, this house is shit. And so I talked to all the grandkids and said, man, y'all need to buy her a house. 30-year-old kids, I ain't about to buy no grandmother no house. So I felt that it was part of my duty to do that. So I bought this house for my ex-mother-in-law and my ex-wife who I've been divorced from for 25 years. And um, that was an agreement that I had, right? From 30-some years ago to, to love and help and protect and provide for and maybe at least make sure that her life is good even though we ain't married. We're friends, but we ain't even friends with benefits. None of that, just I care about you, I loved you. I do love you, I'm not in love with you, and I have been. So that agreement made me want to do that. Well, now mom has passed, and my, and my ex is still there in the house, and now that agreement is like, well, I fulfill that agreement because this was so that mom could have a, a much better house to live in. Well, now the ex-wife is still there, and you know the light bills and stuff are all in my name, and, you know, I got emails and about that kind of stuff. And even though she pays them, but that was worrisome for me because I'm worried more about her things than my things. And so that agreement is something that had become burdensome for me because I didn't know where to end it or how to get out of it. So the way I'm going to get out of it is by December 31st, I'm going to pay the house off and give her the deed. Now, she wanted to sell the house, but it's probably scary for her because if she sold the house, then she has to worry about, well, sh you know, $150,000 equity, can I replace the house without a house note? Probably not. So then that brings on some other things for her to deal with, right? Yeah. But that's her situation, but not mine. But if I continue to allow that agreement, it could bring on resentment, it could bring on all kind of other issues. It's I still pay a house note every month, uh, taxes, insurance every month. And so does that burdensome situation, that agreement, weigh me down to where I can't go be my best self? It could. What if I had four of those agreements? Or what if I had agreements with other people that, that caused those kind of situations? We need to learn how to get out of those agreements. The contract's been over with 25, 30 years, 25 years ago. The agreement was a mutual agreement that I made with myself that I wanted to do, but now mom's gone, so when do I end the agreement? And how do I do it in a way that's still respectful and still fulfills what I told her I would do? Well, just pay the house off now and here's the deed. Now, how you pay the taxes and the insurance next year, that's not on me, but I did my part. 
And so those kind of deals, that's a big one. But there are little ones, like the guy that just, you know, his, he couldn't fulfill going to his daughter's basketball game as his agreement. So that caused him to renege on the contract that he had with my buddy yeah. because he couldn't show up for work. And so there's just all kind of things, man, that as we dig deeper into who we want to be or who we said we're going to become, there's just so many layers to this that we just got to be open to, to all kind of things. So I don't know how that came up, but anyway, that's just... No, I think that's a great... I mean, that is a great way to put so many things like you could take that so many different directions you could you really could that whether that's a personal agreement with yourself or a contract you made with yourself a goal i mean you could use those words interchangeably with so many other things that's right so whichever way that relates to you better of if you are more business-minded, I guess, and you want to say agreement and contract or goal and promise, you know, like right. you, you can interchange things there, but what, what's going to resonate with you to be able to apply that theory or that logic to your own situation? And if you allow that, for me in my world, right, if I allowed that, again, agreement that I made, Willingly, voluntarily, to fester. What does it do to the inside of me? Yeah. What would it bring resentment to her? Like, cause you don't. I went by the house three weeks ago and she was on a girls trip. Fucking girls trip. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, you know, this is live, so I'm not gonna say what I was thinking. Yeah. But uh, that could have that could have brought on some some thoughts of dislike. Yeah. Like, I'm doing this, and you're on a girl's trip. I spent my money to do this. And you're on a girl's trip. And you're on a girl's trip, yeah. So the way you don't let that bother you is you just get out of the agreement. Yeah. In a nice way. Yeah. Here's the deed. Yeah. Bam, I baby. made the decision to do this. Yeah. This is how I end this. Right. Like, where some people could have just got caught up. And it doesn't always... I think the trouble I have with this and the overall general situation is because... I think 90% of people hearing this are only hearing the financial part. You know right. what I mean? Like That's you spent money to buy a house for your ex-mother-in-law. You're still carrying that note. And now someone else has taken over that and you're still paying for it. And they're just like, no, get your money. You know, get your money. But it's not about it money. ain't about money to you. Correct. That's why you have to go back to the agreement and the contract. Correct. And could you let that turn into something that made you feel like it was just about the money? Absolutely. And fester inside of you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. kind of where you were going when you said the girl strip. Right. Like, because then it's, 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 a, it's a financial thing. But then you re-centered yourself and go, all right, well, if I did that to her, what other problems am I now going to be dealing with? What more is that going to bring on that's going to be negative? Or how can I get out of this in a great way? In a great way, still feel great about what I did. Correct. And not hold any resentment. It has nothing to do with the money and actually probably cost me less money, in the less life. time, less grief, 
less anger and still lets me keep my joy, my happiness and all these other things that should have been the product of that agreement. Correct. And you have to, you heard you it to go. Like, yeah, as yeah, I'm saying, like it. you, you have to, that's a very interesting approach to that. Well, and it had to be so that the, the counterpart didn't happen. Yeah. And so now you just, I'll write a check and say, here's your deed, man. You got blessed with a house. Yeah. You can sell it. It's paid for. It's worth 300000 You can do whatever you want because yeah. now there's not a mortgage on it. Yeah. To where if we paid it off today or she sold it today, part of the money would go to the mortgage. Yeah. And then she would only have a certain amount of equity left. Shit, I just thought about that. That's the way to cure it because that's... I didn't really, I literally just thought about that, that when I pay it off, I fulfill my portion, and now she's got enough to sell it and, and do what she want to do, which is move closer to the grandkids. But if yeah. we sold it before it was paid off, it would only pay off the mortgage and give her about 150 grand, which is not enough to replace it. So shit, I just talked myself up on something that's even better than what I had thought in the first place. Yeah. Literally just now. Because now once it's paid for, she can do what she want to, sell it, and then have enough to, to, to move and be close to the grandkids. Damn, Garrett, thank you, man. <laughs> I don't know how I helped with that, but hey, I mean, if that helped at all in any ways, I'm, I'm all for it. And I, see, that's what friends do, right? Yeah. So we get an opportunity to pour out what was hurting me. Yeah. And then talk through it. And whether you think you helped me or not, you did, because I was able to talk myself all the way through a resolution of an agreement that was binding me into yeah. a situation that really helps everybody. Yeah. And now you're even, you know, then that, that giving, and I think it kind of comes back to giving too, without expectations. Right. If you're truly giving something, whether it's for an agreement, a contract, or just because you want to, you can't have other expectations. That's correct. You truly need to be giving. Yeah. And if you're giving, and I think that's where it was, you caught yourself giving and then you had that second guess where you're like oh why man am like this? why am i doing this yeah. this is causing me this but then you brought it back to well i'm still giving like if i just fully give it then it can't cause me any more headache it can't cause me any more tomosity or anger or resentment or any of the other hundred things it could do right and then by doing so you're, you're now already finding other things that, like, you just gave more to the grandkids. You just gave more to her. You gave more to, to many others, not just her. Right. Because even though it's helping her, it's also giving to other people in your family. An opportunity. Or an extended to be, family. That's correct. And, and at the same time, serving a purpose for you. Yep. Like, I mean, that's an amazing way to think about something. Like, I'm glad you shared that with me because that... I'm already thinking about other things where, like, I should be looking at stuff like that. And I think it's just another way of looking at, at giving. Like, you know, I think a lot of people that the more you give, the more you get. By far. And, and I mean, whether that, whether that is your, I mean, and your time is your biggest asset that you mm -hmm. don't get back. So whether it is. I just I wanted to make sure like people didn't get caught up on the financial part of that because that's real easy to do. Yeah. Oh, Alvin, yeah. you make so much money. You, yeah. you you know you're this big owner. You you have millions of dollars and you have all this and that like whatever. Like oh, so what? You bought her a hundred fifty thousand dollar house. Like you're gonna but money is money. Right. But like there's more to it. Like it's it's there's so many more layers to it. Like we just talked about. So 
I think if you can kind of apply that to multiple facets mm -hmm. of your life and, and kind of really evaluate why you're doing it. And then, like you said, evaluating, like, what is the root of, like, why I'm feeling this way? Like, well, you didn't fully give. You started out giving, but then you pulled back. Mm -hmm. So, like, was your intention to fully give? And yes. And then, like, the answer to your problem then is to fully give it. Fulfill and, the and agreement. Fulfill the agreement. It, however you want to word that, like, because then that allows you to move past that. And it's, I think it's those, I think that's, man, it's profound. Because it's a, a lot of those little things that you don't even realize are affecting you. Yeah. Even in a situation where it's something where you were doing something really good. Like, that applies to so many areas of life. Like, you could spend all day thinking about this. Right. And, like, analyzing that. And I think that's it's one thing I really enjoyed hearing you say about your whole day is I, I, quit, I quit thinking about the response and, and the, you know, putting up fear and expecting... Expecting the bad, expecting the negative, because I'm big on this. Like, me and my wife have this conversation a lot about putting stuff out into the world or always saying something. Like, I truly believe, like, the more you do that, even if, even if you're clumsy, if you walk into walls, if you expect to keep walking into the wall, you're going to walk into the wall. That's correct. You know, like, how figurative you want to take that, like, whatever it is. So to be able to, like... You saying like I approach my whole day, and you are a super busy man. Like, and you keep yourself there. You got all these things, but you don't start out your day or continue to let your day dictate that. Expecting all these things and expecting that there's going to be an email that you have to respond to right then and there. It's almost more like uh, uh, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be mentality. And no, I'm going to think about the things I want to do and that I need to do. And yeah, I'll deal with those things as, as they, they come, come up throughout the day. Correct. Because no matter how you do it, they're still going to be there. They're still going to come up. But that wasn't your primary focus. You were more thinking about the things that you want to happen that day and that you want to come in and projecting that into the world or however people want to phrase that. Correct. Right. You know, like the, the, you're putting those thoughts and yeah. energies out there versus it being negative or, you know, fear based. Now, or, and I say that. Not that it's easy it's, to do I, either. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not because I'm still reprogramming myself, right? Yeah. And so I have to literally tell myself that you're not going to expect the bad. Yeah. You're, when you open your phone, I used to open my phone expecting an email for me to have to do something that wasn't positive. Yeah. And now when I open my phone, it's a different experience because I tell myself when I look at this phone, I'm not looking for that. I'm just checking because I hate notifications on my phone. <laughs> I mean, th th this makes a lot of stuff make more sense for me personally even. I, I think back to the, to the first time that you were supposed to be on the show – and you called me several hours before the show, and you're like, hey, man, this has come up. I'm in a bind. I'm stuck. I was like, okay, just let me know by, him, by then. We'll, we'll go to plan B. Yeah. We'll figure it out. No, but thank you for letting me know as soon as you could, and we'll go on. At first, I found it odd, and I think it's just because I didn't know you very well, that you even felt the need... And maybe it wasn't that you felt a need, but maybe it was for you 
that you wanted, like you sent me pictures of the reason why you couldn't. Well, like you're like, hey, I want you to know I'm not bullshitting you. Right. This is legit what I'm doing. And I was like, man, that wasn't necessary. Like, it ain't like I don't believe you or trust you. Like, if you said that's what's going on, that's what's going on. I, I can't, I'm not going to worry about that. Like, I got to go on and figure out how I'm going to still do what I need to do. Right. But like, at first. That was like, important to me. Right. And it, it was like, again, one of those things. You had an agreement. That's correct. You had to break the contract, so to speak. Right. Figure, we had a contract. Right. Right. But like, we had an agreement. We were going to do this. We agreed to do this. You were going to try to say, I, I am still a man of my word. Yep. We'll do it. You even offered, like, hey, if you have any money tied up in this, like, hey, let me pay for it, whatever. I was like, it's not necessary, man. Like, we're going to take care. We'll, we'll do the show. Yeah. It'll happen when it's right, and it's going to work out. But, like, that's another one of those things. Like, for you, that was a part of fulfilling your agreement and letting me know, like, hey, I'm still going to continue with my agreement. And, like, but, like, I just want you to understand, like, I'm being legit. Like, yeah. I'm not, this sure isn't, did. it's like some bullshit-like, yeah. like, thing. And I was just, like, it kind of took me back and, like, kind of like caught me off guard. And I was, like, man, why did he feel the need he needed to do that? But in this context of how you address and deal with things so that it doesn't turn anything, like, then you being anxious or anything else for tonight's show mm -hmm. because you're like, man, this guy probably thinks I'm some bullshit, like whatever. Like, you know, I, I had to bail on him. He probably, I mean, he's probably thinking I'm not even going to show up tonight. You know, this is all that came like, up in my head. And right. Like, but like, who is this guy, Gary? Yeah. What the hell am I doing on a podcast? You know? Yeah. But I told him I was going to be there. So I'm going to be there. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, now in this whole scenario of what you laid out, like I can even take it to that instance and go, that's a process that you can apply to so many things that like, it doesn't have to be a financial contract. It could be a contract of just a verbal agreement of like, Hey, I'm going to come do the podcast. And like, you still found things when things came up that were going to alter or mess with that agreement. And I think that was actually the second yeah. time I had to cancel the first time. I think I just couldn't make it. Second time. Well, that was just a that was just a, that yeah. was a scheduling issue. Or that something, was just right? a scheduling. We yeah. were, but we were a month out or so then because we were trying to plan it around. As we were really trying to get it before you did your uh, multifamily That's monopoly correct. and stuff. And I was really trying to move some stuff around because I I wanted you to be able to get that out there because I knew I know there are people that watch this and or listen to this at times that. That's the type of thing they would be interested in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I know you ended up having to postpone that. So please, for all of us, make sure you share that with me and whatnot, because I will gladly promote that and put that out there for you. I will. I'm going to even try to attend that if it works out on dates I can, because it's something I'd really like to do, because I, I think that's probably an amazing event. Well, what I did, and you asked me about it earlier when yeah. I postponed that and put it off. Because we have done, I don't like selling something that I know nobody's going to be able to use. So why would I train you on something to go out and buy apartments today and rehab apartments today when realistically, if you don't have that experience today, the chances of you doing that are slim to none. Yeah. So that's a bridge to nowhere. Yeah. But what we have done over the course of the last two years, I built out this course, a developer apprenticeship program that is the same price of the boot camp, but it's got me, my attorney, my engineer, my architect, my like nine people talking about the process of developing a single family house, a duplex or 
1,000 units of apartments that ties into that boot camp that comes with a lot more that I would much rather put that out yeah. than do the three-day or two-day in-person boot camp that, yeah, we can have a good time. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, I can show you this. I can walk you through the apartments. But here's a much better situation that you can have forever because it's recorded and it's not just me. My tax strategy, again, man, my attorney, we all poured hours into this course that really I was going to try to sell for 50000 bucks. Yeah. Because I know it's worth it. I know how much money it'll save you if you're building a house. If you understand how, when, why, and where, then it's going to save you a gang of money. And so now we're selling that thing for 2400 bucks. Same price as two people for the boot camp, right? Yeah. And there's so much more information there that I would much rather do that than, again, have 30 people come from all over the country and me walk them through two days of how I did this knowing that they're not going to be able to do what I did. Yeah. So Because they haven't gone through all the processes. That's correct. Steps. I mean, like, I can... You I can, can still put the blueprint out there. The blueprint again, works. It doesn't mean that I can buy your $2,400 boot camp and, and do it. I've got to be willing to put in all that work. That's correct. For each stage of that. That's like, correct. People that buy these things and go to these and join these groups that don't really fulfill on the back end... I feel sorry for it because it's like you can make that decision that you want to do this, whether it's a pyramid thing or whatever, like you still have to do the work. It is That's not correct. a lottery ticket with the winning numbers. That's on correct. It, it That's can correct. be if you're willing to do the work, If you're willing to do all the work. But that's why I said 90% to... of my day is working on me versus yeah. my work. Yeah. Because if I'm willing to do the work, then whatever pops up in my email or whatever I think about, I can accomplish yeah, it's going to come yeah. at a certain point, and it we'll is. hammer out. Didn't um, – hold on. i got to look at my notes here because I can't remember what it's called. You, you put out a book, too, didn't you, recently? I did, man. I wrote a book, uh, The New Look of Affordable Housing. And so all of our developments are affordable housing units, and uh, that kind of ties in with that course that yeah. I did. Um, and, you know, people hear affordable housing and think, oh, boy, here come those people with the Section 8 vouchers, but I'll tell you to better explain that, here we sit in Frisco, Texas. The area median income is 125000 a year, okay? The units that we develop for affordable housing focus on people that make 60 to 80% of that area median income. So an, an affordable deal in Frisco, you'd have people making seventy-two dollars to $100,000 a year living in these apartments. So we only focus on areas that have uh, income above $80,000 a year. That allows us to be able to build a new apartment complex. If we set 50% of those units aside for people that make 80% of the area median income, their average rent's going to be about fifteen or 1600 bucks a month. And so because the standard is nobody should spend more than 30% of their income on housing. So if you're making $80,000 a year, 30% of that's about $24,000 a year. That's $2,000 a month. You can afford to live in a $1,500, $1,600, $1,700 apartment comfortably and pay your bills. Stan, that's, uh, that's interesting. Again, this is the GC side, ownership side, developer, however you want to look at that. I think it's good to have that perspective because I think so many people just get caught up in that HUD, government, whatever. Mm-hmm. This can be beneficial both ways because, like you said, it's 60 to 80% 
of that market. Correct. So if you don't want to deal with the those the people. one that'd be t- those people in the twenty thousand dollar to forty thousand dollar market, go to the different market. Go deal with that. But I'll the reason what, those what are sexy that. too for both of us is I love when they tell me it's 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 section eight or you know whatever the HUD whatever because the government is helping provide some of the funding for that. Like you have more inspections, you have certain standards right. met. They're doing it. A lot easier to get your money out of those properties, whether it's the management company or the ownership, because that funding's coming in. The government's putting it there. They got the money. Mm. So most mm. of the time, I mean, yeah, most of yeah, the time, but yeah. I mean, like, right. they have a certain standard to keep. Yeah, That's do. guaranteed. And they have to do this every year. Correct. Every year these Correct. inspections come in. So Correct. if you have a client that owns a portfolio of that and you're a GC, you can see those. You know, systematically, Twice a year, there's going to be these inspections and that you're going to have guaranteed work. I mean, it may not be the big sexy rehab you want or the big fire job or whatnot, but it is the small, consistent stuff that is going to pay your bills. You're going to be fixing trip hazards, liabilities, stuff like that that has to be done, that's going to get done, that you can get in and out of quickly and deal with that. And the same thing for you, like, you like you said, like if... You don't want to deal with those people, whatever those people are to you. Find the medium in the market that works for you that you can deal with those people. And I'll tell you, uh, about it's been about, I guess, six months ago now, maybe a little longer. I was telling this story to this lady, and uh, she broke out crying. And I'm like, what are you crying for, girl? She said, no, you don't understand that I used to live in um, Stonebriar. Uh-huh. You know, she was married, big 8,000 square foot, $3 million house, and they built some townhomes across the street and some apartments across the street. Well, they found out in Stonebriar that those apartments were for those people. Mm-hmm. Well, when I explained the area median income to her is when she started crying. And I said, well, why are you crying? She said, well, when my husband threw me out of the house and we got divorced. Um, I didn't go to those apartments because I didn't want to be one of those people, but I went to the townhomes. And uh, the lady, the manager of the townhome told her that, oh yeah, you qualify to live here. And she said, what do you mean I qualify to live here? I make $100,000 a year or $90,000 a year. She said, yeah, these these, these are income set aside restricted units and you have to make 80% of the area median income to live here. And she started crying because she realized that with her nice Mercedes outside and her big Louis bag and her red bottom shoes today, that she was once one of those people when she got kicked out of her $3 million house. And she only made $80,000, 90 on her job. And she had to become one of those people to stay in Frisco so her daughter could finish school. And so I thought, that's the, that's the story I'm going to use every time. So when I go to these cities and, and, and need to get our deals approved, I tell that story. And then I tell the city manager and all these people that are voting for or against our project that most of you guys qualify to live here. Yeah. And it changes the dynamic of the meeting. Because we're doing these. Your, your market is 100000 You don't make 100000 as a city councilman. 
you probably make 60000 at the plant, and guess what? You qualify to live in our units. Yeah. You put them in the other people's shoes. Right. You let them what are the people that work in people. all these restaurants in Frisco live? Where yeah. do they live? They don't live in Frisco. They live in Plano, North Dallas, South Albany. Dallas. <laughs> yeah, uh, Greenville. Yeah. But they don't live in Frisco. Why? Because their median income is too high and they're not enough. There's probably two affordable units projects here in Frisco. Yeah. All perspective. It's all perspective. Yeah. Well, man, we're getting to that hour and a half mark, and I promised I wouldn't keep you there the two hours since you have such a drive ahead of you. But, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Like, but we'll just is, have to do it again. Yeah, we will definitely do this again. Although, I, I mean, I think we're definitely going to have to do it again because y'all all thought you were going to get this GC ownership conversation <laughs> going here, and we gave you like 10 minutes of that, and then we went down every other rabbit hole you can think of. We talked about ayahuasca and all this other crazy shit and how we yeah. think and how we communicate. So yeah. you didn't get all that. So I'm going to tell you, there's a couple questions we ask everybody towards the end. Let's do it. Cause you know, it's called common sense, the podcast, cause I think people need more common sense. And I think one of the best ways to get common sense is from hearing other people's stories. So you've shared a lot of those. I want to ask you right now, if your son, your kid, if you got to leave them with one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Wow. Wow. Man, I think... Um, I think it would be to deal with your trauma. Because I don't know what kind of trauma my life caused for my son. Yeah. You know, I got divorced from his mom when he was 11, just like my dad got divorced from my mom when I was 11. I don't know what kind of trauma that caused him. Now, yeah, he lived with me a couple of years when he was in seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, and then moved back with his mom. And that was a great opportunity for us to still be best friends, and we're best friends today. But he's really quiet and reserved and uh, a gentle giant. But it would be to deal with your trauma. He's raising two of my grandkids and uh, beautiful family. But you know, I asked him the other day, and you know, just here I am. Just I said, "Son, what, what, how you doing?" He said, "I'm great." I said, "Well, that's a bullshit answer. How do you, how are you really doing?" He said, "Why are you asking me that?" I said, "Well, I see you, but I see you." And I said, "You've gained some weight, and..." And I know that you're not your best self right now, so what's really going on? Let's talk about it. Yeah. And so that caused him to, I mean, we talked about it, and it's, it's changing his environment right now because he was made aware consciously to himself that this is what's going on, and maybe I can change that. He wasn't dealing with some shit, and now he's dealing with some shit. So it would be to probably deal, deal with your trauma because yeah. so many men don't. And yeah. we, again, you know, we down the vine. I don't think it's just men either. I think a lot of women don't either. I mean, well, I think, I'm I think sure about that. But I think it's by the way. I mean, it's easy for us to say. But we're supposed to be leaders men. of the house and all yeah. this junk, and here you leading somebody down a rabbit hole, and you don't even know where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the last one. I don't know where you're going to go with this one at this point, because you've said so much and shared so much. But we ask everybody to leave us with their two cents. 
And it could be just the two cents you want to leave us with. It could be something I haven't brought up that you want to get out, that you want to share. I mean, it literally can be anything. We've had every answer you can imagine to this, but you can, it's just your chance to give us your two cents. Dream on dreamer. Don't be afraid to dream. You, you, you got to. Uh, I said it earlier, people perish because of a lack of vision. Not lack of knowledge, not lack of anything, but because you can't see it, you'll never achieve it. If you don't think you can believe it or have it, you never will. So my, my deal would be dream on dreamer, baby. See my shirt? Absolutely. I'm going to have to get me one of those. I'll bring you one. All right, my man. Hey, man. Garrett. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to our friendship and doing this again sometime, yeah, man. Thank too. you so much for coming out and making this happen, man. I hope you guys got what you've been waiting for. Because I know this one was one everybody had been waiting for for a while. So until next time, please be safe over the holidays. Yeah. We are not going to have a show next week. We're both going to enjoy the holidays with our family. We'll be back the week after. So hope you'll join us again there. And have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas.